Welcome back, MTN Nets Podcast. I was not planning on making one tonight, a podcast, but the Nets were one point away from their worst loss in franchise history. So I feel like tonight is a good night to do it because it's their last game for like a week because it's the All-Star break and they just had one of the most embarrassing losses of the franchise's history. And I do believe at one point in this game they were down by 60 they do lose by only 50, so that's nice. But at one point, I think in the early fourth quarter, they were down by as much as 60 points. And it did seem like the Boston Celtics were going to hand the Nets their worst uh, worst loss in franchise history. Um, actually, no, the largest lead was 56. I remember Pritchard hit a three, and they went up by 56. So I thought it was 60 for some reason. But just an awful game. Of course, this was a back-to-back. They played Boston last night. And it was a closer game. They were down 20 at one point, 20-plus. They brought it back, made it like a a six-point game at the end. Might have got the four. Um, Cam Thomas made some big shots. Mikel had a good fourth quarter. But Derek White made a couple of nice threes and, you know, made some big momentum baskets. Tonight, though, I realistically, like I'll be honest, I did not watch a lot of this game. Um it like Valentine's Day happened to fall on a great day for me at least. Like I was watching a movie and went out to dinner. So I got to miss most of this game. I did see some of the fourth quarter. I turned it on like in the late third quarter. Like I was keeping up with the score a bit. I checked my phone, it was seven nothing. Then I saw it was like forty seven to seventeen and I was like, Oh my god. Like, you know, I knew this game would be bad, but like not this bad. I saw the Celtics were like 13 point favorites coming into tonight um but what i didn't realize was that jalen brown was out and i think al horford was out too and i don't think porzingis even saw the floor in the second half so really this is this was not even like the full celtics team this was not like you were missing jalen brown the second best player and you're missing al horford probably their best player off the bench so those guys are out and you still lose by 50 points and got down by as much as 56 so it's embarrassing. Like I feel like you you have games with this team where you feel good. Like that game against San Antonio on Saturday where I was at that game and it was fun. Like they won by a lot of points. It was great. But when the Nets play real competition and specifically the Celtics who they just cannot beat, um they look like a G League and college level team. I saw a stat that I think the Nets are now 2 and 14 against the Boston Celtics since the 2021-22 season. I remember that year, the Nets won the first matchup. That's when they were still kind of healthy. Um, Kyrie was still not playing because of the vaccine. They were just they sent them home. But we had Harden and KD, and they won that game. And ever since that win, I think, the Nets are like 1-14 against the Celtics. Like, it's that bad. And they had a game that year where... Um, this is right after Harding got traded. They were down like 28-2, to two, and Javon Carter was the leading scorer, so it was tough times. Um, and there was a game last year where things got bad. Oh, it was Kyrie's last game. It was last year. It was February uh, February 1st, I think it was, or 2nd. And they had that game at Boston. They lost by like 40-plus. And then you have tonight, almost a year later, and they lose by 50. So this team, unfortunately, owns the Brooklyn Nets, and it is what it is. I'm not going to go over tonight's game all that much because, as I said, I didn't watch the whole thing, so I don't want to speak on it. But this is more so just like a, a macro-level video of, like, I just need to rant about this team. Like, I am just pissed off, and rightfully so. I mean, we have not heard much from Sean Marks. He did have that one interview um, on the day of the trade deadline, and... 
you know, he said some things that were interesting. We went over those in the last video. Mentioned how he had the opportunity to um, to trade for players of the status of the big three, which I don't entirely believe because I don't know which players that were available that are at that level, but that's his words. Um, but we still have not heard from our owner, Joe Sy, who just continues to be in hiding and who he was a guy who last season was active on Twitter. And honestly, ever since he bought the team, he's been active on Twitter. Um, he has only tweeted about the Nets a handful of times this season. And I went back as a guy with no life. And, you know, the Nets are a very big part of my life. Unfortunately, I just went back and said, you know what? Let me see how many times Joe Sy tweeted about the Nets last season at this point in the year as compared to now. And I did this like about two weeks ago. So is before all the Kevin and Kyrie trades and everything, the team was playing well. And I came away with that, um, I guess you can call it test or whatever. I went back and saw that Joe Sy last season from the start of the year till about, you know, February um, when the trades happened, he tweeted about the Nets 27 times. That's a good amount for an owner to tweet about a team about halfway through the NBA season. 27 times, right? Good amount. I looked at his Twitter this year, and Joe Sy this season has tweeted about the Nets five times. One hand, you can count that on. Five times. So 27 times last year to five this year at this point. And it's been over two months since he's acknowledged this team on Twitter. And I don't know how else to reach Joe Sy. I feel like Twitter is like the one place an owner can really, you know, I know like a guy like a uh, the Dallas Cowboys owner, Jerry Jones, like he goes on a radio show every week during the season. Like that's another way, but obviously NBA owners don't do that. So Twitter is really the only way to like communicate with your fans, I guess. I don't know. You could like hold a media press conference and all that, which they won't do. But to just not acknowledge this team that you own for over two months in the middle of the season when things are going very poorly, I mean, it's just it's just awful. Like, for some reason, this guy's a great owner with the Liberty. It might be more of his wife, but, you know, he's great with the Liberty. He's great with the lacrosse teams, apparently. But when it comes to owning the Brooklyn Nets, this guy's awful. And I don't know what it is and why it can't work. Um, obviously, losing three Hall of Fame players in a span of a year will just tell you everything you need to know about how an organization is ran. And look, I'm not naive. I understand that the players had an impact on what happened here and why this team fell apart, um, mainly due to Kyrie's off-the-court incidents, um, James Harden quitting on the team, Kevin Durant missing time with injuries every year. Those all impacted it, right? But with any company or organization, it starts at the top. And I don't want to sound cocky when I say this or anything like that because Joe Sy has a lot of money and he knows a lot more than me. But I just feel like in terms of handling personalities, if you gave that level of team to somebody like me who cares about the Nets and just cares about winning over anything else, I probably could have done a better job than Joe Sy. And this is me talking about a guy who's worth over like $14 billion dollars. So for me to sit here and confidently think that I could have ran this team better than him, it says a lot. Like, all they had to do was just cater to the stars, and things would have been fine. But for some reason last year, they wanted to, you know, penny-pinch Kyrie and, and just, you know, not give him the contract he wanted, 
which led him to asking out and going to Dallas. Then that led to Katie asking out. And it left us in this place where the Nets don't own their own draft picks until 2028. And they're supposed to be this middling play-in tournament type team, but they can't even be that. They're in the 11th seed in the Eastern Conference, the 11th seed. Over half the league, I think, makes the playoffs, and the Nets can't even do that. They are one of the bottom seven or eight teams in the NBA right now. And I'm not saying the Nets roster is good. It's it's not, not that good. But they should not be this bad. We know how many games have slipped away at the end because we just have bad coaching and whatnot. But that brings me to Jock Vaughn, who I want to talk about. I'm a pretty reasonable person when it comes to firing coaches and, and whatnot, you know, and I do have a replacement. It always bugs me. It bugs me when people say fire this guy, but don't have a replacement option. I think the replacement options on the roster right now or on the staff, I should say, just promote Kevin Ollie. promote Kevin Ollie. let Jock Vaughn go and say, hey, man, I know we extended you last year till 2027, but it just ain't working right now. And this team, like, there's only a few ways the Nets can really spark things for the rest of the year and try and make a playoff run, which, you know, I'm still hoping for. Like, I don't, if they don't make the playoffs, I'm not going to cry about it. Like, it is what it is. But this team does not have their own draft pick once again. So there is no reason to root for tanking and root for losses. So if I'm the Nets, one of the few ways you can really spark the team the rest of the year is just getting rid of Jock Vaughn, who clearly has lost at least a portion of the locker room since that Milwaukee game when they benched everybody because they wanted to rest players for some reason. So they lost some of the locker room. And ever since that point, which I think that game was on like December, like December 26th or something, like around like late December. I think since that time, the Nets have won like five or six games. And that was like two months ago almost. So they have been like one of the, if not the worst team in basketball since then. Maybe the Wizards are, are worse. Maybe the Pistons and even they might be better. So like these guys have stopped buying into Jock Vaughn. And I mentioned this a while ago, like a couple months ago on this podcast. Jock Vaughn is not an X's and O's guy. He's not a schematical guy. He's not going to give you any type of advantage um, from a schematical standpoint. Jock Vaughn is just a motivator. That's what Jock Vaughn is. And he did a great job last year, especially the first half of the year when he took over for Nash, um, of being a good motivator and just getting these guys to buy in and play hard. And, yeah, he had Durant and Irving, and that definitely was putting um, – you know, lipstick on a pig, I guess you can say. But since that game when they bench guys versus Milwaukee, Jacques Vaughn, who was a motivator, has no longer been able to motivate these guys. So if Jacques Vaughn can no longer motivate his players, what does he do for this team? I ask you, I don't know. What if you're not if you are a motivator and you're not motivating, what are you here for? I don't know. Kevin Ali at least, I know can come into games with a defensive game plan and give this team at least some semblance of looking like an NBA roster, game in and game out. There have been too many games this year where the Nets are just just brutal out the gate. There was that game against the Cavs, the, uh, the one in France or something, and it was embarrassing. They were down like 40 points at one point or something like that. It might have been 30. But 
There's been too many games this year where they get down by a ton of points and it's embarrassing. And they had that stretch where they were like 5-20 and 20 at one point. And I'm trying to see. So that game versus Milwaukee was on December 27th. Right, that was a day off. December 27th. So when they lost that game to Milwaukee, which was a loss on purpose, let's call it how it is, they were 15 and 16 after that loss. 15 and 16. Not that bad, right? Right around 500. Since then, they are 21 and 33. So I'm trying to do the math here. So if you were 15 and 16, now 20, so that's six wins and 16 to 33. And 17 losses, is my math correct there? Is 17. All right. So you're 6 and 17 since you threw that game away against Milwaukee. And throwing that game against Milwaukee was probably not fully on Jacques Vaughn. That's a front office thing too. And I'll get to Sean Marks now. I used to really like Sean Marks. I used to think that the Nets had one of the, if not the best general manager in the NBA. And Sean Marks, from the time he arrived here in 2016, I think it was like February of 2016. So from that time when he arrived here until about 2021, the guy was probably the best general manager in the NBA, but for some reason over the past three years, he has been arguably the worst general manager in the NBA. You can, like The list of things that Sean Marks has done wrong since the start of 2021, it's just way too long of a list for not that much time. It's been like three years since then. So... You know, you think about making the first Harden trade, which it would have worked out if guys stayed healthy and all that. So I don't want to be too hard about that. But making the Ben Simmons trade a year later is horrible. Um, they let go of Jeff Green and Landry Shamit and every other good role player on that 2021 team that lost to the Bucks that year. They let go of those good role players. They replaced those guys with... Guys that were just borderline NBA players like James Johnson and DeAndre Bembry. Paul Millsap was washed. Um, Blake Griffin was washed. LaMarcus Aldridge was washed. So every move he made that offseason when the Nets still had the big three and still had championship aspirations. Um, an all-time bad offseason for Sean Marks and probably one of the biggest offseasons of this franchise's history. And Sean Marks batted zero that offseason. And the next offseason... They choose to re-sign Patty Mills over Bruce Brown, which some people speculate may have been Kevin Durant's decision, which I don't know. Because Bruce Brown still claims he has a good relationship with Sean Marks and the Brooklyn Nets. And maybe it was Durant who didn't want Bruce Brown. I don't know. But the fact that they brought in Patty Mills on the same contract as Bruce Brown, who was a really good contributor for the NBA champions last year, the Nuggets, the fact that they brought in Patty Mills over him says a lot about this team, right? And Bruce Brown was like six or seven years younger too. So that definitely should impact that. There's just a lot wrong with this team right now. And it's very frustrating. I just posted on Twitter, there was this, Zach Lowe clip of this was from the preseason, but Zach Lowe went to a uh, Celtics game in the preseason this year. So this was back in uh, probably like October. But on his podcast, he was talking about how he at the hotel was talking to Celtics like staff and front office people. And basically those people, 
even though it's three years later, they were having a conversation about that series in 2021 against the Nets when the Nets beat the Celtics in five. And the people that work with the Celtics were basically talking about how that team was unstoppable. And there were, there's people that had jobs of how to stop other NBA teams. Those people were clueless on how to stop the Brooklyn Nets. That's how good they were. And those Celtics executives and front office people basically said, as long as the Nets don't screw this up, we don't know how we're going to beat that team. And of course, since that time, as I mentioned, the Celtics are 14-2 and versus the Brooklyn Nets. And it just shows you how quickly things can change in sports. It's crazy. Like three years ago, the Celtics were helpless and had no idea how to hang with this Brooklyn Nets team. And just a year later, after that, basically, it was 2022, the Celtics own the Brooklyn Nets. And they just cannot find a way to, to just get out of their own way. Everything they had that was great a few years ago is now gone. And they have to find a way to recover and get this team back on track. Now, the part that bothers me and a lot of other fans is that they won't pick a direction. The trade deadline is passed now. And I think the approach this summer is pretty obvious based on what they're saying. They're going to go star hunting and see what's out there. There was that one quote today about how an Eastern Conference executive does not believe that Donovan Mitchell will sign an extension with the Cavs. Some Nets fans are speculating that that executive is probably Sean Marks saying that, which would be funny. But there's no way to know. But, you know, it wouldn't surprise me. But their plan this offseason will be to acquire Donovan Mitchell and maybe Trey Young or whoever whoever's out there. Like, they will go star hunting. And if it makes sense and the price is right in their mind, they will do it. They will flip those Phoenix picks. They will flip those Mavericks picks. They will flip whatever pick they have to get the guys they want, and go star hunting one more time. And I don't know why Sean Marks is getting a third chance, at, or not a third chance, but like, and really it is a third chance. Like, he's he's had so many different iterations of the Nets. Like, Sean Marks, when he came here, it was like the rebuilding Nets and like the guys that were not NBA players, like the Donald Sloans and the Shane Larkins. Like, there was that team. There was the fun 2019 team with Russell and Dinwiddie and Jared Allen and all those guys and Jared Dudley. Um, you had the, the big three team, you had the seven eleven team, and now you have this team. This is like five different iterations of the Nets since Sean Marks has been here. Like, I don't know how a GM who has failed this badly has such a long leash. Like, if you just look at the results, Sean Marks has been here for eight seasons, I believe, and the Nets have won one playoff series while having guys on their roster like D'Angelo Russell and Spencer Dinwiddie, Karis LeVert, Jared Allen, Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, James Harden, LaMarcus Aldridge, Blake Griffin, um, Jeff Green, like, you know, Mikael Bridges, Finney Smith, like whoever. Good basketball players. Some great, some elite. And one playoff series win to show for. And even, like, I know it was shitty because Harden got traded midseason and all that, but even that year they got swept by the Boston Celtics in 2022, they were trotting out Curry, um, Seth Curry, Patty Mills, and some other guy who had no business playing. I mean, Andre Drummond was horrible that series. But, like, there were guys playing in that series that had no business seeing the floor in NBA playoff games, unless it was a blowout. So, Sean Marks has done an awful job the past three years. 
And while I've defended that man in the past and I loved him his first like five years here, it's time for him to go. It's time for a new voice, whether it's fair or not. Eight years is enough time. It's time to move on. It's time for a new voice with this team. It's time for a new direction. Sean Marks has had enough chances to turn this team around. And at one point, to be fair, he put together one of the best rosters of all time on paper. But unfortunately, injuries happen and bad luck happens and mandates. But it's time for a new voice. It's been eight freaking years. No more Sean Marks. No more Jock Vaughn. I hope Joe Sy sells the team. That's all I hope for. I, I know it's a lot, but like, you know, the sad part is like a lot of us fans that just still watch this team like morons, we care more about this team than the freaking owner does. And it, it should not be that way. I feel like Jock Vaughn just, he, not Jock Vaughn, I feel like Joe Sy just treats this team like a business. He doesn't care if, if Barclays is sold out with 70% Boston fans. He just wants to sell tickets and make money. That's why I sometimes tweet that picture of a guy sitting on the couch with a lacrosse game on and I put a bunch of money bags on the table. That's probably what, that's probably what Joe Side does. He probably just sits there in his California home. I think he lives in San Diego or something. Probably sits there in his San Diego home with lacrosse on the TV and counting up his money. This guy don't give a shit about the Nets. Like That's why it's frustrating. There are fans that care more than he does. And, and people like myself who have just been tortured by this Nets team the past three years. And longer than that. I mean, let's be honest. I've been a fan since like 05. It's, there's been a lot of bad points. But um, these past couple of years, especially in, in the past year specifically, have been probably the lowest and most embarrassed I've been to be a Nets fan because a lot of their issues were preventable. And if Josiah did not have this standoff about a contract with Kyrie, then him and Durant are still probably here and we still have a good team. And I know Kyrie's missed games this year, but Durant's been healthy. Of course, that's the Nets' luck. Every year Durant was here, the guy missed major time. But now this year, his first full year in Phoenix, the guy's playing like almost every game. But that's just the Nets' luck for you. But my point is, you still could have had him and Irving, and you could have had a really good team here. They probably would have been a top-five team in the East, no doubt about it. Could have been better if, you know, depending on what other moves they would have made. Which obviously their direct their their moves in the offseason would have been different if they were still going for that championship window. So I can't compare this offseason of getting Trenton Watford and Harry Giles and whoever and Lonnie Walker, um, you know, as compared to if they still had championship aspirations. It's not a fair comparison. Um, so yeah, it's just annoying, and I'm ready for the summer and and to see what direction this team goes in. Um, their record now I think is 21 and 33. I'm going to take a look at the standings, and I just want to see, do they really have a chance of making the playoffs? Because I know, like, the Nets' schedule in the second half of the year does not look that bad. Like, obviously, there are some tough games on there, but majority of the games don't look too bad. Um, right now, they are two and a half games out of the 10th seed. 10th uh, seed is, like, the last seed possible to get in the play-in. So, you know, you would like to get in the 8th seed or the 7th seed, but... The Nets are basically down by eight and a half games of the eight seed, so that's not going to happen. Um, I feel like the Nets' only chance at this point is to get the 10 seed, and that's the Atlanta Hawks. Um, we'll see how many times the Nets play them the rest of the year, but it's just sad at this point. Like the only chance they have is to just beat the uh, is to get the 10 seed. Like we're sitting in the All Star break with our ceiling 
of an outcome being the 10 seed. This is not where I want to be. It's embarrassing. They do play the Hawks twice more, and it's at home, so that's good. So I'm just going to just read off their schedule the second half of the year because, once again, it's not that hard. Toronto, well, at Toronto, at uh, Minnesota, at Memphis, at Orlando, home versus Atlanta on a back-to-back, home versus Memphis, home versus the Sixers, at Detroit, at Charlotte, at Cleveland, at Orlando, at Indiana, home versus San Antonio. Wait, how are they home versus San Antonio? That don't make no sense because weren't the Nets – the Nets were home against San Antonio Saturday. I thought they only played them once at home. I don't know. Whatever. Home versus San Antonio. Home versus New Orleans. At Milwaukee. At the Knicks. At Toronto. At Washington. Home versus Chicago. Home Lakers. At Indiana. Home versus Indiana. Versus Detroit. Versus Sacramento. At Toronto. At the Knicks. At the Sixers. There are not that many hard games on there. There really are not. I look at games like the one at the Knicks. The one at Milwaukee. Um, at Orlando, what else? At Minnesota, which is the 24th, it's it's 10 days away. There's like four or five games on here where I'm like, oh, that's that's a tough game. But aside from that, the second half of the schedule is not that bad. So once again, I'm not expecting this team to go on a run, but it is feasible because this schedule is not that hard. And they remain, as I said, two and a half games out of the 10 seed, which is... um. It's like, you don't want to root for that. Like, it just sucks. If the Nets do get the 10 seed, we have to win two games in a row just to make the playoffs. Like, and they'll probably lose in the four to Boston. So it's like, it's pointless to make the playoffs, but you'd still rather make it than not make it. Because once again, there is no lottery pick for us. It does go to the Rockets, which is a shame. And I was getting to that before. So if the Nets go in this offseason in the summer... And they cannot get their hands on a star, whether it's Mitchell or Trey Young or whoever else. If they can't get anybody, I think it's time to move off Mikael Bridges, move off Dorian Finney-Smith, move off players with value, and just reset. Trade Bridges to Houston, get Jalen Green, get your picks back, and let's actually build this thing the right way. Because I am tired of the Nets always doing this half-ass effort thing where they want to build up a mediocre roster, bring in a star, whether it was Darren Williams 14 years ago or whether it was, you know, I don't know, like just bring in D'Angelo Russell and hope it works out. Like that's what the Nets like to do. They don't like to draft their own guys for some reason. Like the Nets have not picked in the lottery since they drafted Derek Favors in like 2010. And he got traded for Darren Williams halfway through his rookie year. So Derek Favors, who's now out of the NBA, he's in his 30s, that's the last time the Nets picked in the lottery. It's been that long. There's no good homegrown talent on this Nets team besides Cam Thomas and besides Nick Claxton and maybe De'Ron Sharp. And we'll see about Whitehead and Clowney. I like Jalen Wilson. He's been good so far. But... No homegrown homegrown star, maybe aside from Cam Thomas, who, you know, he had a rough game tonight, of course, but it's still a wait and see. Guy just turned 22. So um, we'll find out, but there is not enough homegrown talent on this team. Like, look, look up and down the roster. Claxton is one guy. Cam Thomas is the other. Jalen Wilson is the other. Dayron Sharp's another. So four guys on this roster. And it's like... It's just not enough. Like, you have to have those cornerstone pieces 
that start with your, you know, are drafted by your team, and the Nets don't have those guys. Now, I still like Cam Thomas. I hope he, he works out. Excuse me. It feels like they're going to extend Nick Claxton, which after his last two games, I'm not too excited about. But that is the Nick Claxton experience. There are matchups where the guy looks invisible and looks overmatched and looks not worth the money at all. And these last two games versus Boston are a good example. There was no Porzingis last night, but he did play tonight in the first half. And Claxton had a rough game in back-to-back games here. But on Saturday against the Spurs, which was a good matchup for him, he looked dominant. So it's just matchup dependent for Nick Claxton, which is frustrating. And I hope he develops a consistent jump shot. Maybe he does to become a, an even better player. But until that happens, I just question like how consistent he can be. So I think that'll do it. A 50-point loss, 12 games below 500. Have not heard from the owner at all really this year. Um, the guy's in hiding right now, caring about his lacrosse teams and driving away every good player this team has had the last couple of years. And Sean Marks is still employed and Jock Vaughn's still employed. And I do hope we wake up tomorrow and get the announcement that Jock Vaughn has been relieved of his duties and it is Kevin Ollie the rest of the year because that is, once again, one of the few things that can possibly save this team. And by save this team, I don't mean like go on some magical run and, and win a playoff series. I just mean the bare minimum of getting the 10 seed. Like, that's what I mean by save this team. So maybe you put Kevin Ollie in charge. Maybe the guys rally around him and this team you know, has a good second half. They get the 10 seed. Maybe they win two games, make the playoffs, get destroyed by Boston again. Like, I don't know. Like, there is no hope for this year, but I feel like there's nothing to lose. Aside from the fact that this team, for some freaking reason, extended Jacques Vaughn twice last year until 2027. Aside from that contract looming over, there is no reason to keep Jacques Vaughn on this team. A motivator who is not motivating is not needed here. We all know this. So the only reason they're keeping Jock at this point is for a financial reason, and I have no sympathy because when I look up Joe's side net worth, there's going to be some astronomical number here. It's $8.4 billion. So I think you paying your coach for a few extra years while you're worth this much money is not going to damage your uh, your wallet too much, Mr. Sai. So wherever you are, just do the right thing. Or just sell the team. Like, that'd be nice, too. I would really appreciate that. The damage is done. We lost every superstar. We lost every future Hall of Famer. The damage is done. But I still don't like him, and I still think he's a terrible owner. So I'd feel much better about this team if he was gone. But mainly the damage has been done. It's unfortunate, but it is what it is. Um, And as I said, Sean Marks has overstayed his welcome. It's time to go. You did some amazing things here. You got unlucky, but a lot of this could have been prevented and you did not build a good enough team here the past couple years when you had a shot to make a uh, you know a, a championship run so that's about it that's all I got we went off for over a half hour without watching the game so that's good that's that's nice I got a lot off my chest and um, you know I'm calling out everybody here I get it but when you lose by 50 points I think everybody deserves uh, some blame and I'm sure the players are frustrated, and I'm sure a lot of guys have lost faith in Jock Vaughn ever since that game versus Milwaukee once again. So 
We'll see what they do over the All-Star break. Uh, their first game back is on Thursday, which is a week from tomorrow. So looking forward to that. But they got to win these games, these these winnable games, whether it's Toronto, Memphis, the Atlanta. Like the Atlanta back-to-back games are big. They have to win both those. If they do, then maybe they make the 10 seed and they give us a playing game. So we'll see. But... That's all I got. I'm sure I'll talk to you guys after the break. I'll I'll take the week off unless some breaking news happens, which hopefully is Jacques Vaughn's fire tomorrow, but we'll see. It's just the perfect time, really. Like the it's like a blessing in disguise. You lost by 50 and you have a whole week off after this. Like what better of a time to fire your coach than right now? I don't see why not, other than financial reasons, which once again, your owner's worth 8.4 billion dollars. So, no sympathy from me. But uh yeah, So I probably won't be podcasting too much in the second half of the year, but we'll see how this plays out. We'll see how exciting it gets. If it's more like tonight, you probably won't hear from me often, but we're going to see how it goes. But hopefully Vaughn's fired. Hopefully in the summer there is clear direction and, you know, they give us reason to be excited and be proud to be Brooklyn Nets fans because right now shit's embarrassing. And I think we all can agree. So... That's going to do it. Hope you all enjoyed. Of course, leave a like, and I'll talk to you guys next time.